Welcome back to Rethoughts. I'm your host, Jonah Gray, and today I sit down with my good friend, Nathan Herzog. In this episode, we go over anxiety, our experience with it, and some of the ways that we combat it ourselves. If you want to support the show, you can like and subscribe on wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also share us on social media, support us through Patreon, or visit our store at Rethoughts.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy the conversation. You wear a mask for so long, you forget who you were beneath it. Thought has developed traditionally in a way such that it claims not to be affecting anything, but just telling you the way things are. That doesn't make sense. Just when you think you know something, you have to look at it in another way. I know exactly what you mean. If you're real, you better tell me right now! What is real? How do you define real? Welcome to Rethoughts, a revolution of the mind. So let's talk about anxiety. Where do we start? Very, <laughs> very important subject, isn't it? Uh, I just pulled up a statistic. I'm going to read it off just to begin this thing. Uh, I got this from uh, John, Hops- John Hopkins. John Hopkins Medicine.org. Um, so approximately 18% of people ages 18 to 54 in a given year have an anxiety disorder in a given year. And of course, this includes panic disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, and, and phobias. So we, and, and this is actually on the rise. This has been a, a kind of a public mental, we have a mental health crisis in the United States. And one of the leading mental health Crisis is crises are is anxiety along with depression, but because uh, those two are very closely tied. But you and I both have had experience with anxiety. You and I have both struggled with anxiety a lot, and maybe still currently do a lot. And uh, I thought it would be a great conversation to talk about, specifically coming from your um, psychological perspective and my philosophical slash meditative uh, perspective. So. I guess uh, to start things, get things going, I'd like to, what do you think, or how would you define anxiety? Mm. Uh, well, in my own personal experience, well, how, how I explain um, my anxiety is kind of a, a fixation on things that I anticipate but um, have really no control over. Um, even things that are likely not to happen. Um, but yeah, I, I'd say it's, uh, yeah, fixation on, on things to come. And yeah, basically a need or want desire to control them and an inability yeah. to do so. Yeah, I agree with that definition. It's like, it's a fear of the future essentially, but m- yeah. not so, not like such a fear of just the unknown, but more so an obsession like a yeah. a constant um, recapitulation in the mind of some fearful potential act that may never happen, but is played over and over again in our heads. Yeah, and and you know, I think I think a, a another distinction in it is um, a want to control it. You know, the a a need for the certainty of you know a better uh, a more positive outcome as opposed to. I mean, because you can be afraid of something that's going to happen in the future, like being pretty sure that, you know, you're going to get fired tomorrow, but not necessarily have like have bad anxiety, but still have some sort of healthy fear around it. Yeah, there's certainly a difference between just being afraid of something in the future, like like you said, getting fired possibly or having to go jump out of an airplane or something like that uh, that's happening tomorrow and having a constant living with a constant fear like a in, I, w- I would say that it's debilitating like mm-hmm. every day waking up with just the feeling of anxious 
just excited for no reason. Uh, and, and, and it's pretty terrible, honestly. It's not fun, and a lot of people experience it. It's a, it's a real problem, for sure. But, uh, yeah. Where, where do you um, first see your experiences with anxiety arise? Well, I, mine, uh, I'm a lifelong hypochondriac because my dad was a doctor. And so he, at the age of 11, he, <laughs> he showed us, he showed, he had you know, four, four children. He showed us on video an autopsy of a 26-year-old woman, an autopsy. She's spread out naked on on a on a table, and they they proceed to cut her open. And my dad, you know, there's even a point where they cut open her skull, and my dad's holding up her skull to the to the uh, to the camera. And I think to him, he was just so interested in it, being a doctor, that he thought it would be cool to share with his kids what the human body looks like. Uh, but for me, it was a pretty traumatic it was a pretty traumatic video because not only was she, uh, not only, you know, you get to see what the inside of a body looks like at 11, uh, which I'm sure a lot of people have, but she died from this really weird disease where basically the symptoms are she had a small cold and a little sniffles. And then the next day she fell, she, she just died and it ended up being some sort of like heart, uh, virus that ate, ate the, ate away the uh, atriums of her heart or something like that. Basically, a silent killer. So that, I can remember being the beginning of really being afraid of the future in the sense of my body, you know, and that, and that was, I was at 11. So, but that, I would say, sparked, you know, I, I was going to be a doctor for a long time, and my father and I would always have conversations about, all the different ways you can die. And, you know, it, it just sparked this incredible, what is, you know, hypochondriasm. And even now I struggle with it. You know, I have a pain in my leg. I'm like, up, oh, yep, that's a blood clot. Or I got like, like my liver, you know, over here, you can't feel your liver, but there's pain down there. And I'm like, up, oh, yep, cirrhosis. I've been drinking too much, you know, stuff like that. It's just, it's a con, it's just an automatic thing. But there was a point in college when, it really developed into its full force. And um, I was sitting in my uh, statistics class next to this girl, my first girlfriend, actually. And she, um, I just overwhelmingly, no, there was nothing that caused it and nothing happened, but just total panic. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I had to like leave. I, had a, I was about to pass out. It was so much panic. And from then on, I had these panic episodes for years, for many, many years, until I found meditation is really what happened. But before that, it was just way, just being alive and being awake was a constant terror and effort. It was really horrible uh, in hindsight. And it comes up once in a while now, but it's not, it's nothing like it was. It was just terrible. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd be sitting at my desk writing a paper, you know, for college or doing something and then just, <gasps> and like for no reason. And then I'm freaking out like, oh, why am I freaking out? And I had to lay down and like put my feet up above my legs so I can get blood to my head because I feel like I'm passing out. And like, and, you know, I'd wake up anxious and it was just, it was just really bad. It was really bad. But uh, how, how about you? How about you? How was your experience with that? Well, real quick. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like you had, you know, an anxiety attack um, and, you know, when we, when we had those anxiety attacks, it's, um, I, I had a girlfriend who would have anxiety attacks regularly. And the fact that she couldn't predict, you know, you, uh, when an anxiety attack is going to happen just compounded the possibility or the probability, I guess, that, that she was going to have one, you know? So yeah. it, and you know, if, if you have one in public and then you start thinking about like, what if I have one? What if I have it? it you're just, you're just um, it, it's a spiral down into it. But um, my, my experience with it, um, I've thankfully not had any attacks in public. Um, I've, uh, mine comes from my tendency to overthink. 
um, just kind of having an overactive mind. Uh, I, I remember um, staying up late, unable to sleep, just thinking about different possibilities of what's going to happen and having anxiety about not being able to sleep, having anxiety about having to wake up early and um, for kind of really as long as I can remember, uh, they, they talk about how, and my parents talk about how I had all these, I had these bags under my eyes all the time as a kid. And I, it wasn't until recently that I was like, yeah, it's because, it's because I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I couldn't sleep as a kid. And, uh, they, like, they had no idea, but, um, it, I, I believe my, uh, anxiety comes from, yeah, my tendency to, um, for my mind to you know, take the keys and drive away, you know, <laughs> leave me right here. Yeah, it feels like, yeah, I feel like most anxiety must be something like that, something mm-hmm. about overthinking by, because it's always, like anxiety isn't just like you're having happy thoughts and then, you know, you're having this weird feeling of excitement and just debilitation and then, you know, it, it, it doesn't just happen like that. And then, I mean, it, it, it always is along with thinking. Anxiety and thinking go hand in hand. Uh, thinking bad thoughts, too. There's a great Buddhist... Um, there's a great Buddhist named Ajahn Brahm, who I'm actually going to go see in Australia soon. But he, he says... He has the greatest definition of anxiety. And he says, anxiety is... What did he say? Looking, looking to the future with a bad attitude. Looking to yeah. the future with a bad attitude. Now, I think it's a little bit more complicated than that because it really is, it's like it becomes this, m- the mind just picks up speed. Like, what if this is cancer? Then every time I feel my leg, I'm like, oh, no, there's that pain again. Oh, it's probably cancer. And you go to the doctor, they're like, you're fine. You're, you're 21 years old. You're fine. You're like, okay, I'm fine. You go back home. It's like, yeah, but what if the doctor missed something? It was wrong. So it's just this constant flowing, thinking, flowing, thinking, flowing. And we feel like it kind of comes up behind us. Or at least for me, it feels like it came up from behind me. And I could never get control of this thought thing, this this mass of anxious thinking. And I mean, yeah, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's terrible. I have so much... Um, I have so much compassion for those who go through that today, especially when they feel like there's no way out. And that's, a, I think, should be the second part of this conversation, the way out, because there really is a way out. There really mm-hmm. is a way out without medicine. So, uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, so do, do you, is this something that you uh, continue to suffer from on a regular basis? If I'm not, if I'm not paying attention... Um, if I am uh, not taking care of myself, um, yeah, no, there, there's definitely some every, periodically um, spikes in anxiety. I mean, especially in the last couple of years with everything that's going on. I know you mentioned um, kind of a spike with uh, COVID and pandemic happening and um, things of that nature. Uh, just kind of a isolation from the things that I would normally do to take care of myself um, contributes to that rise. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing is that COVID has brought about uh, the lockdowns particularly has brought about a lot of anxiety because people who would just go out and see, do something, you know, like kind of get away from the house, get away from things now have to, they're forced to be alone in their own homes. Well, they were. Now, pandemic's, pandemic's pretty much eased off now. But uh, it's to me, it's indicative of a much deeper issue, a much deep, deeply rooted thing, and that is that we, our culture isn't really concerned with our mind. Um, you know, mental health, even though Mental Health Day was like, created in 1945 or mental health month was 1945 or something like that something late like that yet it's totally out of our common sense uh to take care of our mind isn't really something you know it's just it's it's not valued very much in this culture not today it is more because so many people are suffering 
You know, I think mm-hmm. it's something like 50% of people in the United States alone are on some sort of psychoactive medication for, for mental health issues. And uh, now, I, of course, here we go again with stating things without actual uh, dictation or citation. But yeah. it is an issue. It is an issue. And I think that this is where we can learn personally what I have learned uh, are, you know, ideas from the East, uh, many practices from the East, such as meditation and also different philosophies of the East that, uh, anyway, let's go into, I, I do wonder, what do you think is the culprit for anxiety? Why is it that so many people are having this issue now? Or do you think that it's not any more than it used to be? It's just that now people are aware of it. Well, I mean, a company, I, there's some, some accompaniment with uh, this pandemic, right? Uh, so, so in my experience, in my experience with anxiety, um, this is something that I haven't touched on yet with the, so the overthinking, but also um, another thing that had a large influence on it was um, end of times talks uh, and, and family and church and things like that. So um, as at a pretty young age, I'd already felt like my future was, you know, was taken from me. You know, like I don't have a future, and it's the end of times. Like what? And, and oh, so wait, there's, you thought like, the end of time was going to happen within your lifetime? Well, yeah, no, that I mean, because that's that's that was that is one of the things that would be communicated to me as yeah a kid, and there are uh, just deeply rooted losses of future you know in in those experiences i mean if if you are convinced or not 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 even really convinced but like if, if it's talked about enough and told to you enough you just there's a cynicism that that comes about from those conversations from um that type of uh, attempt to convince me and then it's not that it's not, I guess, really that I feel like I consciously believe that, but it, there's uh, some subconscious factor there uh, that limits um, what I see as possible for my future or, or did. You know, this is something that uh, I've had to observe and work on in the last several years. But uh, I, think, I think people have trouble ha- with vision, um, in, in their future. I mean, we, we see kind of a spike uh, accompanying um, like social media and internet and um, kids not being uh, outside and doing, doing things that build resilience and self-worth. Um, and, and as opposed to, to doing those things, they're, they're, doing, they're on the internet, they're um, actively posting and trying to get these, you know, quick dopamine hits of, uh, validation. And, uh, we're kind of, we're kind of, we have a tendency to, um, search for that in, in this era, you know, and seek that out. And I, I think that has a little bit to do with it. I'm sure there's other variables. Um, but I, in my experience, I attribute a lot, a lot of my anxiety to, um, feeling like I don't have a future hmm. fundamentally. That's interesting. I can definitely see how that would be a point of anchor for an anxious life, you know. Um, and there actually are. Man, I gotta. I, I'm not gonna quote any more stats off the top of my head anymore. <laughs> I suspect. <laughs> I suspect that rates of anxiety are higher within. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't think that. Go ahead. Maybe I don't think that. Well, I was going to say, I think that rates of anxiety may be higher in religious communities, but I've heard the opposite. I've heard that uh, mental health problems and anxiety and stuff like that are actually not as prevalent in uh, like Christian communities, for example, because they are, there's a sense of community. There's a sense of uh, a a future, even though the world's going to end, their world isn't ending. You know, there's, this world is ending for a better cause for, for, for the, basically the salvation of mankind and for those who are, haven't been justly punished to be punished and those to be um, saved, to be saved. 
Uh, and so, like, I have people in my family, well, actually everyone in my family except my sister are Christian, and they all think this. And it gives them a sense of hope, a sense of living for the future. That's why I find your – it's an interesting thing that you have, that you feel this lack of future, uh, because with the Christian uh, – a little bit off topic, but what the Christian attitude promises is, or the Christian faith promises, is a infinite future. So that to me is interesting that that you felt this lack of future because of the end of the world. Yeah, I mean, it, I I also didn't relate to them in the sense that yeah. uh, I didn't. That it it didn't really make much sense to me that. Um, I mean, that, like like you said, this is a this is a completely different topic. Um, but uh, I I, th- I feel like you have to accept that, and you have to wholeheartedly whole geez, wholeheartedly believe for it to not induce anxiety. And the the problem that I had um, is I, the the rationalization of the message in general, and it's just something that I wasn't accepting. Yeah. And so when if, I met you, well, go on. Well, and so if you don't accept it, then, uh, yeah, it's it's anxiety inducing, right? Because you're not really a part of that community. You you're an outcast without being outed. I can certainly see that. And so and you feel I, even more lonely. <laughs> right. No, I, I you know I get that. I mean that that hits home for me because I'm a very outspoken atheist, and if you haven't noticed. <laughs> but, uh, and within my family, uh, maybe I shouldn't speak for them, but I know the attitude is that he's kind of a lost soul. You know, he's missing the point. Uh, they remind me constantly that I need to come to Jesus and that that's the thing that I need, you know, as mm-hmm. if they know, you know, they know what my life needs. It's kind of yeah. funny. But I could see that feeling of being ostracized, not outwardly, but kind of. Uh, subliminally, you know, like I, you know, the reason your things aren't like, if I ever have a problem and I want to come to my family for that problem, I know that they, I can tell that they're holding back because they want to say, well, just accept Jesus into your life and this will be good for you. This is really your problem, not, you know, your little squad, the the little things that you're going through right now. But anyway, um, that's interesting that that so to kind of tie the loop big point for you is that religious belief is what caused a lot of your anxiety uh yeah go well it is more not necessarily religious belief i don't have a problem like with what i might have genuinely believed but um a certain dogmatic um like indoctrination into something that i didn't accept like i didn't agree with Right. Although when I first met you, you were pretty Christian. Yeah, you know, I was in different churches too, though. I was in different conversations, and um, still, yeah, you were, you were not, you were not like any other Christian, though. You were very much thinking of you were more of like I would say the the esoteric, <coughs> mystical kind of type, uh, the one who really thought deeply about things. Which I there's a lot of them out there. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah, you were you were de- you were definitely different than that. Like that story you told me about how you know you were running in the canyon and just praying, and uh, that story really resonated with me. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, so that's interesting. But w- to kind of go back to anxiety, why why do you think though? Then do we have this crisis now? Obviously, we do have a predominantly religious culture. Most people are Christian in this country. I think it's over 85% now. It's declining, but yeah. it's still the majority. And uh, maybe that's the cause. But personally, I feel that the cause has to do more with our culture being generally mistaken about the mind. Uh, we, we, as human beings, have this wonderful opportunity to actually be able to look introspectively at our happenings within our head. You know, I'm not sure dogs and cats can do that, but we can. We we can we can notice things happen in our minds, and we can actually directly look at it. Yet this is something that 
Eastern philosophy and Eastern people have done for millennia. Uh, even older than the Bible, people have been meditating and looking introspectively at their mind. And the mind was, you know, really, really important to investigate. And I still make that argument that the mind is the basis for everything we do, every, everything we do. There's nothing that we do that, isn't, that doesn't include our own minds. So the most important thing to investigate is our mind. Yet our culture kind of says, ah, yeah, but that's some weirdo stuff. And, ah, yeah, that's a little bit esoteric. You know, you should just accept Jesus, and that's what you need. It's a little bit of a straw man. But I think people are hesitant to introspect into the nature of their own awareness. And because of that, mental health is running rampant. But not only that, I think what you were saying earlier is really important. Social media. Social media has brought about the, the biggest, uh, I would say, pan, well, I would say epidemic of people comparing themselves to others. Mm-hmm. And as, uh, who was it that said it? Uh, Rose, Roosevelt, who said that th- uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And it's absolutely true. Uh, and that's, a lot of social media is that. And now we have cyberbullying and people literally ending, like children ending their lives. Uh, because of cyberbullying, because how they are perceived online. And this seems to be a large source of the problem, is that we take, kind of dump all of our attention into our devices and our social media and worry about our image and our and what we believe and all that, yet we don't take time in silence to just look at our own minds. You know, it's such a simple act. We used to do it naturally before technology, because there's so much freaking time on our hands, you know, like you have to sit on the porch and just stare off in the sunset because there's nothing else to do. (laughs) So your mind becomes very clear then. Um, You know, one of my favorite quotes is actually by somebody I heavily disagree with, uh, Blaise Pascal, who wrote Pascal's Wager, the famous argument for the existence of God. But he had a great quote that said, he said that most of humankind's problems would be solved if they would just sit in a room alone in silence, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what a great quote. I butchered it because I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but anyway, to me, that's, that's where the root is, is really our inability to pay attention to our minds because we're paying attention constantly to other things outside of us. Our world is constantly seeking our attention and we're giving it to it, you know, um, news and media and everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, there's also a tendency to escape, um, what is potentially painful when you look internally. I mean, people, people, many people fear introspection Mm -hmm. to many people fear to be alone by themselves with their thoughts. Um, and I under, I mean, understand, but, um, to, to be, to be honest, it's understand. Yeah, it's definitely understandable. And also why I think, with the pandemic, that was why a lot of this started showing up. It's because people had to face themselves a little bit more than they usually do, and they don't, you know, we don't want that. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and so you spend more time online, or you spend, and so it's not. It's not that they were forced to spend time introspectively. It was okay. Well, how do I occupy my mind so I don't have to do that? Right. I think it, most people are extroverts. I used to think that extroverts were half and half, like extroverts and introverts. It's half introverts, half extroverts, but it's more, like, incredibly amount more. Most people, we can say most people are extroverted. Very Not not very many people are introverted. And so those who are introverted are okay with being alone. They're okay with being with their minds. They're okay. They, In fact, they need it, you know. Mm-hmm. Those who are extroverts, having them be alone and and find something to do, of course they're going to seek something that is distracting, you know? We are in the age of distraction. We are constantly distracted. So having and asking and telling people, hey, you know, if you just paid attention a little bit, sit in some silence and look at what's happening in your mind when you're at the peak of anxiety. So that's what I did. I mean, and I kind of want to shift the conversation into some of the solutions because... 
I consider myself a success story when it comes to anxiety and depression and other things, other mental things like that, but really anxiety and panic disorder. Uh, uh, what do you, how, how would you say that you, do you think, because you told me that your anxiety has alleviated for the most part. Do you, would you consider yourself kind of a success story in terms of uh, uh, anxiety? Yeah, I would. How, how do you, do you mind sharing how, how you did that? Uh, I'm, a lot of mine arises, I mean, as, as we've said, um, or as I've said, uh, surrounding the loss of future. Um, so for one thing, attempting to uproot or understand like why that is. And, you know, that's, that's why I can articulate that. I think a lot of it is from, uh, a religious background. Uh, so because, because I've investigated, I've asked those questions and, um, written a lot about it. I mean, I, I think that, uh, writing down those thoughts, those feelings, the, and, and then a, a vision of what you actually like envision for your future. Uh, and then having actionable steps, goals, um, different achievements to head in that tra trajectory, go that direction. That helps me. Um, but action, something that is actionable, um, in an immediate situation where I'm experiencing anxiety is um, uh, a derivative of, <clears throat> excuse me, this grounding technique. Um, I believe it's like cognitive behavioral therapy technique where <clears throat> the actual technique is like a five, four, three, two, one, uh, going through your senses. And I don't remember exactly what order it goes in, uh, but it's, you know, you look around, you find five things that you can touch. And you look around and you find four things that you can uh, smell. And you look around and you find three things that you can hear, two things that you can, uh, where are all the senses? <laughs> Taste. Something, you know, yeah. And, yeah. And so you you go through all the senses to just ground you, anchor you in the present. Um, but I kind of took it, uh, I'm very tactile. Like I, I, I'm a very like touch-oriented person uh, since I used to rock climb. Um, you know, I'd feel things, I'd touch different textures and, um, grab on different walls, just hands on everything, hands on all kinds of objects. Um, so for my grounding practice, I would look at things and I would imagine what it felt like in my hand. I wouldn't go up to it and touch it. I'd imagine what does it feel like? Until, until I'm to the point where I can actually feel um, what this camera looks like or what this camera feels like, what, the, what this paper feels like, what, what my ceiling feels like to, to touch. Um, and after, you know, breathing for one thing, uh, breathing through it and going through this practice of just looking around, finding these objects that uh, I can physically... I could go physically touch, but I can actually just feel them in my hands without even approaching them. And so I also approached, uh, I, I analogized it to emotions, you know, uh, or ideas and thoughts and, and thinking, um, you know, I can walk up to that emotion, I can grab it, I can embrace it, and I can, I can basically become it. I can walk up to that thought and I can become it, but I don't have to. I, can, I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like. I know what it feels like in my hand. I know what happens if I go down to down that path with that thought. And I don't want it. I don't want to touch it. But I mm. I can observe that, you know, this is what it feels like. Hmm, that's very interesting. That sounds a lot like meditation. Yeah. <laughs> it is well, a it is a it seems it seems to achieve the same thing meditation does which is of course being completely here now mm -hmm. uh which is why i think another issue what anxiety is 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 worried about where you're where you are not and where mm -hmm. you will never be because the only time there is is now and that was i mean for me the road to away from anxiety really began with that idea uh really began with this present moment that everything else 
is a thought form. Everything else is me thinking about something, and it's just thoughts in my head, all mm. of it. So to begin with your smells, what do you, or, or, or I like what you said, but what do you see? What is in your environment? What is around you? And then what is it? What do you smell? What do you feel? What do you hear? What do you taste? What like what what are these things at this moment? And mm -hmm. you can't be thinking of the future when you're trying to smell a flower mm -hmm. or when you're tasting an orange or looking around you at an object and really focusing or observing what is around you that you can't be lost in thought when you do that. Yeah, and that was a big that was a big thing for me. That was a big thing for me is that realization. Before regular meditation practice, that was my solution as well, which was breathing. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Most of the time what I learned is that I most of the time I feel like I'm a center of consciousness, a center of awareness right here, kind of like behind my eyes between my ears, looking out through my eyes, but there's something behind my eyes looking. There's something that hears, and there's something that tastes. And that entity, that self, I think we talked about this last time, but that small entity person is really just because I pay attention to my thoughts all the time. So I feel like I am my thoughts, and thoughts happen right here, you know. So I feel like I'm up here thinking. And so when meditation, I was instructed for the first time to just, you know, just pay attention to how your belly goes in and out. So simple. And everyone knows this. This is part of our culture. Everyone knows meditation. You just pay attention to your breath, in and out. But what that does, and what people I don't think understand about that, is that it removes your feeling of being a separate entity in your head because no longer is your attention constantly going on this flow of thought that, first off, you don't create. It happens by itself, just like our heartbeats. And to put our attention into our belly where there's just movement, and we only do that because it's easy, not because it's spiritual or anything, but just because movement is easy to focus on. And so removing attention from thinking into our into my belly was 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 the beginning of a total destruction of anxiety so even when it comes up now it's more of an alarm for me not really like oh i need to get rid of anxiety it's more so like oh i'm lost in thought i'm thinking of the future oh i'm not there that's not where i'm at i'm right here just like what you do what's around me but i'm just right here yeah yeah, no. I think go on. Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna share a story um, about a, a friend who um, was experiencing anxiety and depression, uh, and we sat down for coffee one day, and she was describing a uh, trip that she took with her sister and her mom, and talked about how happy she was and how like she kind of forgot how sad she was, and <clears throat> uh, she as we're sitting there, she's like, well, why can't I just, <clears throat> why can't I just feel that way? Why can't I just feel that way all the time? And I walked through it with her. I was like, you could, you could recreate everything that happened on that trip. You could do moment by moment recreation, reenactment, and it wouldn't do anything for you. It wouldn't make you happy because you know what you did is you allowed yourself to be there you allowed yourself to be happy. You didn't want to be anything but what you were. What you didn't want to be anywhere else other than where you were. And that is kind that is that is the key there. I mean, even even when it's sad, it's like the the reason, even when you're sad, it's the reason that persists. A big reason that persists is because you want to be anything but. Right. Running away. Yeah. You wanna you want to be somewhere else, you want to be something else, you want to feel something else, right? And like, and that's why it persists, because you're not. You have to. You have to be present with it. You have to allow it in. You have to um, really accept it. There's, there's a. Have you ever heard of Mark Manson? No. Subtle art of uh, not giving a fuck. 
that book? Yes. Yeah. So he wrote he wrote that. He has a he has a saying um, about uh, there a, a accepting a negative experience is a positive experience. Wanting a positive experience is a negative experience. And you know, wanting a negative experience is not going to lead you to a positive experience. Or wanting a positive experience is not going to lead you to a positive experience. And I was like, when it was phrased that way, I was like, okay, well, that makes I that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so in the moment that you accept your negative experience, you create a positive. That's right. That's right. Because, yeah, step one to try to alleviate anxiety and to try to get rid of anxiety is don't try to get rid of anxiety. Step one, don't resist anything you feel because there are no wrong feelings. Mm. There are no, and, and there are no feelings that are so intense that it will kill you. We may kill ourselves as a result of those feelings, but that's, to me, confusion. The feeling itself will do nothing. It will, it, like, yeah, it, 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 that's the thing. Step one, don't run away from your feelings because it creates it worse. It's like trying to smooth rough waters with a flat iron you know, like an ironing board and you take a flat iron, you try to smooth water with a, with a hot iron. It's just going to make it worse. Trying to push something away that is in our mind is just our mind 101. Mm -hmm. And so in Buddhism, because the subtle art of not giving a fuck is really Buddhism in a (laughs) modern context. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, that quote makes sense. He's a, a positive experience is a, an acceptance of a negative one. Or, or an acceptance of a negative experience is a positive experience. But a, an acceptance of any experience at all, ever, is a positive experience. Yeah. It's not, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be depression. It could be fear. It could be uh, elation. But an acceptance of that is the key. Pushing it away, trying to do something else, is always going to cause trouble. One of my favorite analogies about life and uh, came from Taoism, from Lao Tzu. And uh, the best way I can explain it is, is basically the analogy of a river. You know, in, in life, we're all flowing in this river. And we, no matter what we do, no matter what, how our minds work, how the circumstances, we have to go along with the river. We're going to die and... We don't really have control over our mental stability. It just kind of, we're born with our neurons and we're born with our conditioning and that's how it is. I wouldn't say there's nothing you can do, but to the degree that we go against the stream of the river, we see how fast the current is rushing past us and fighting us. You know, we're always fighting the stream and most of us spend our days fighting the stream. We are in constant resistance to what is. And because of that, anxiety exists, depression exists as well, because things aren't going the way we want them to. We don't want the river to flow that way. We want to go this way. So we swim against it. But the key to life and the key to mental health, I think, or at least the beginning of mental health, is to go with the river. Just lay on your back and go with it, regardless of where it goes, because when you go with the river, you see how still everything is. You know, the water around you is very still. But when you're running, when you're swimming against it, it's rushing past you. There's anxiety. But if you let go and just go with the river 100% with your whole heart, everything's still. Everything's okay. Anxiety can come. Anxiety can go. Depression can come. and Depression can go. But it's still. It's okay. And once we learn how to flow with the river, then we can swim with the river we can start using the river to go where we want to go but we have to go with it first and that to me was a big eye-opener when i heard that for the first time yeah so yeah good well i was just going to say that i think that step one 
to that, especially in Buddhism, but uh, step one to anxiety and depression is don't run away. Whenever you see a ghost, don't run away. Go try to shake hands with it. Go try to give it a hug. Mm-hmm. See what it is. There's a great analogy of a rope in the road. Most of us are afraid of fear, afraid of anxiety, afraid of the future, afraid of this and that. We don't know what it is. It's kind of like a rope in the road, but it looks like a snake. So we're afraid of the snake. And we're so afraid that we're not willing to go up to it to see that it's just a rope. It's just a rope. But we don't know that because we're not willing to go see it. In the same way, we're not willing to introspect and look at our minds. Mm -hmm. Because we're afraid. We think that it's something that it's not. But unless we peek under the rug and see what we've swept under it, unless we go up to that snake and see that it's just a rope, we're, we're always going to believe in our delusions. And so it's, we're always going to suffer. Anyway, yeah. a bit of yeah. an Eastern rant. Yeah, no, there's a, um, this program that I do uh, through the Animus Valley Institute. It's based in uh, Bill Plotkin's books. Um, like the wild mind is one of the books and he goes over the map of the psyche, uh, in that book. And so when you explain it to somebody, it sounds a lot like, um, like a personality test. Uh, so there's like Northeast, Southwest, uh, and they're all, it's really all archetypal. They're, they're archetypes. Um, and, and on the inner circle, you have, um, what's, what they call subpersonalities. Um, or protector traits and that's usually uh, we usually exhibit those through an unintentional um, fragmentation of the psyche uh, versus on the outer circle are your uh, four facets and so in the east uh, the east is the innocent sage trickster but the subpersonality the unintentional fragmentation is uh, the escapist, the blisshead, the addict. Um, and so you find a lot of people there who, you know, like the, the guy that's always the comedian when, you know, subjects, like kind of serious subjects come up, he has to joke about it. He has to make light of this right. situation, which, which is, uh, can be done from a place of wholeness, can be done from a place right. of that, that right. innocent sage trickster um, because it's necessary, you know, life right. can always be serious. And, right. uh, but on the other side, um, so th- this is, it, it seems, uh, at first to be personality testing, like a, some kind of like, okay, well, what am I? How do I figure that out? Where's the test? Um, it's usually where the conversations go. Um, and it's not, it's, it's reflective. It's, it's, it's a map. It's, you get handed this map to figure out where you are and maybe where I should go. And so if you find yourself um, further in the east, maybe you need to go west. And um, in the west, it's the, the facet is like dark, the dark muse beloved. And so you have your shadows there. And so, uh, and your muse. So you find a lot of like artists and people who are like extremely creative, but also take things pretty seriously and don't, uh, you know, they're, they're dark. They're, they're very dark. Um, so it kind of has this, uh, connotation to it of, of it's a little more dangerous. It's a little, it's a little more dark. It's a little more, um, but it's also a little more, uh, what's the word appealing. It's a, it's a, it's seductive, you know, there's mystery there. And so, um, in those reflections on, uh, like this map, uh, there, there is a tendency to, to, to see that I need to go, I need to go West. I need to go introspectively, um, move into, uh, what is deeper as opposed to run away from it. But yeah. That's interesting. It's an interesting way of co- approaching it. Who was it that uh, came up with this map? Uh, his name is Bill Plotkin. Bill Plotkin. Plotkin. So if anybody interested in Bill Plotkin, please yeah. go to Bill Plotkin. Yeah, yeah. no, we, we do uh, like um, 
wild mind intensives and things like that. Where so it's essentially right. ecotherapy. So you go camping and uh, they walk you through some of these exercises, but it's extremely medicinal and anxiety is huge. Uh, right. Subject in that. Right. But. Yeah, I mean a lot of the a lot of the therapy for getting rid of, like in my experience, getting rid of anxiety. I wouldn't say I don't like saying getting rid of it. It's more like becoming friends with anxiety rather than getting rid of it. Because when you're friends with it, <laughs> that friend kind of leaves you. <laughs> <laughs> and it it's funny. There's a there's a great te- Buddhist Rinpoche. He's a pretty famous meditation teacher now. But he uh, he he started off meditation like that because he always had panic disorder. And he he if you ever he has the funniest talk. He's so funny the way he talks. But he says, you know, I, over time I became friends with my panic. You know, I me 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 and panic, we friends, we friends. And then one day, <laughs> one day my panic leave me. No, no, no more friend. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and then he was kind of like sad that his panic left him because you know they were getting along. You know, yeah. but but that's really the key to the mind is like the mind isn't is the mind isn't not you. It's not like you have to deal with their mind, and that's kind of the to me the big key here is that we all feel like separate entities in our head dealing with our mind and we're not we we are a continuum of everything so there are no wrong feelings there are no ang- anxious feelings or anything like that that are that is wrong it's just a lot of it has to do with our framing i mean if you another interesting thing for me with anxiety particularly was somebody said it's an old friend of mine. I used to live at this temple in Denton. You you know where that temple is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this girl who lived next to us, she's actually a woman. She was in her forties. I was. We were about to do an ayahuasca ceremony. And uh, is this legal to talk about? Can I talk about that on YouTube? Whatever. Uh, I think so. Whatever. Think it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'll talk about it. So uh, we were we were going to go down to somewhere south in Texas and this Peruvian ayahuascaro came up to give us ayahuasca and we're gonna do an ayahuasca ceremony and uh sorry mom if you're watching this but uh (laughs) but before it i was so anxious i was so anxious i was debilitated i couldn't work i called off work it was terrible and i told my friend jenny who was this she's really you know she's wise woman and she said she looked at me with these big eyes she's like you're anxious she's like I think that's excitement. And I was like, excitement. And then I thought, what is really the difference between anxiety and being excited for something? Like in a positive way. The this the the physiology of it is exactly the same. The butterflies, the sinking feeling, the feeling that you can't do anything else because it's like at the, it's in front of everything you do is this one thing, this moment, this, you know, it's either cancer or you're going to Six Flags, you know, what, or, or whatever. It's the same physiological fight or flight response. And I realized that framing, changing the way I thought about it was significant to its alleviation. That instead of saying I'm afraid or I'm scared, I'm excited. Wait a minute. I actually am excited about the ayahuasca ceremony. I've never done anything like this. Being fearful was just a thought form. So it's like, it's kind of like, what do you want? You know, is playing the violin merely scraping horse hair with cat entrails or the other way around, scraping cat entrails with horse hair, you know, as they, how they used to make them? Or is it something really beautiful and wonderful? You know, like, is playing the violin a wonderful thing? I mean, that's what it really, you know, both are correct. It's the same way with anxiety. Are you afraid of getting cancer? Or are you just in an excited state? Are you excited about your current predicament? Is it excitement or is it fear? Is it excitement or is it anxiety? And it's just about how we, well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it's more so that that the feeling, because I think it wasn't, a lot of anxiety isn't so much about what we're anxious about. Yeah. In my experience, it was always more so I'm afraid of being afraid. I'm afraid of the feeling of anxiety. And I'm afraid that it's going to lead to a panic attack. You know, I'm afraid that I have this feeling. Yeah. And 
I kept trying to go away from it. Yet the biggest solution for me was to go straight at it a hundred percent. In fact, there were times where I would, you know, this really helped too. Is like, okay, I'm anxious. I have anxiety. Okay. Let's see if I can get even more anxious. How anxious can I actually get and play a game? Like, okay, let's get really anxious. Let me think about the thing I'm really anxious about a lot. Let me forcefully try to get anxious. And then it would just dissipate and I would be almost frustrated. Like I can't get more anxious. The more I try to get anxious, the less I get anxious. Like, well, what the heck is this? You know? And that's because we're all in a river. Because getting anxious is going with it. Well, I've done, I've done that with, uh, depression. Uh, I talk about this on, on my podcast is, I mean, that's called, it's called paradoxical intention, right? You know, Mm. the, the more you try to fall asleep, the further away you get. Right. But if you try to stay awake, you'll fall asleep. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So I, I've done that where, you know, I tried to be as sad as I possibly can. I I tell my little brother this on the, on the podcast. I'm like, I try to be the saddest, sad boy ever. I put on the saddest music. I watch the saddest movies. I try to, I purposefully try to make myself cry as much as possible. And I can't, uh, you know, and, and, and there, I mean, I guess it's not that I can't, I end up day or two later. I'm like, you are silly. Like, what is, what is this? <laughs> Just laughing about it because it, it, it has become a game. It has become, uh, this playful thing as opposed to what I thought it was. We think it's poor little me. Yeah. That's, I think the root of it. Poor little me. I wish I wasn't like this. I wish things were different. It's like going out from ourselves. Yeah. And not in an, and you're right because anxiety and depression are so closely related. The same, it's a lot of the same thing but we keep running away and instead of running away the solution or a lot of the alleviation now of course major depression major anxiety there's there's different things mm-hmm. with that and i and i hope people don't take this as medical advice but the things that have helped me is turning attention back to me mm-hmm. going straight at it push it 100% push it all the way how far can it go and it's just emotion. It's just sensation, you know. Uh, but that also leads into, you know, meditation, I, which I would love to have a conversation with you about at some point. But how that's what meditation is. It's its being totally present with what there is. As the Tao Te Ching, the Tao Te Ching says, have faith in the way things are. Not the Christian faith, like, have faith that God exists and that Jesus was his son. And then, you know, you must believe in him or you'll have eternal happiness or eternal damnation. Not that kind of faith, but faith a hundred percent with the way things are in this present moment. It's a completely different attitude. And a lot of that is a, it could be very helpful for people like people listening in who maybe click on this video and Mm -hmm. feel completely trapped. They're at their wits end and they have nothing, nowhere to go. First off, I've been there, and I'm sure you've been there too. And it seems like the theme of this conversation is don't look outside yourself. Turn the attention back. As Mm. painful as you think that might be, try it. Turn it back. Be anxious. Be depressed 100%. In fact, make friends with it. Go along with the river. And the river is this moment. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, there was a, a guided meditation I used to do. Um, and she she says, Lao, Lao Tzu says this, um, I'm not sure if he does or not, but um, it's by letting go, it all gets done. Yeah. By and, letting go, you know all things. Yeah. Yeah. By letting go, it all gets done. Is it kind of that? That's That's what became one of the mantras too for me yeah. was by letting go, it all gets done. And just really repeating that on, you know, I, while I go run or, you know, go throughout my day, it kind right. of just became. Well, and, and it reminds me of the, the guy, I can't remember his name, the guy who wrote the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a beautiful title. That's a mm-hmm. beautiful title because it's, that's, that's basically in other words, our American way of saying 
let go. Mm. We say, ah, oh, fuck it. I don't give a fuck. That kind of thing. It means let go. Let go. Mm. You know, it doesn't mean don't care. It doesn't mean don't, you know, do things. But really, you got, we got to let go. Because, and that also leads into memento mori. And which mm-hmm. was the other conversation I think we should have is about death and being mindful of death because being truly mindful of death is allow us to let go, really let go, to be willing to die at any moment. Yep. So a lot of this is framing. A lot of it is looking back at the source of anxiety, the source yep. of our issues, rather than trying to fix it from some outside thing. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah. attachment also being one of the roof. Oh yeah. Attachment. <laughs> well, we need to have a conversation about that alone because yeah, uh, you know, we, again, from my perspective, and I've said this many times in my whole, I have an, a, a separate YouTube channel, which I'm trying to create about this subject, but is that we think we are separate selves, personalities, that have things that have a body that have eyes that see and this kind of thing. And that is fundamentally at its root. As we said in the last podcast, it's fundamentally an illusion and to really, really live our life from the place that recognizes that illusion is, I think what's going to heal humanity and heal ourselves. I mean, first off, you got to heal yourself. You want humanity to be, great we gotta first uh, look out for number one which is mm-hmm. us so but yeah anyway yeah, with, the, with the need to change everybody else i mean you're it's already started with the wrong intention you know right people don't need to change you have to change and, yeah. uh, but and but once you see how you've changed it's really an important thing you see it's a difficult thing to say it's like you want to change the world. That's probably not the best intention, but a better intention is once you've found some tricks and tools that have helped you, don't be silent about them. Mm-hmm. Make Plant sure seeds. you tell people. Plant, Plant seeds. those seeds. You got to. You know, don't be. And and that's the hard part of like sounding condescending or like, or um, you know, like, oh, who is this guy to tell me what I need? You know, and I get. You know, that's understandable, but. But if you have something that has helped you, share it. Because mm-hmm. there are other people who are going through what you've gone through. And like people may be listening to this, you know, the 13 people that will probably listen to this podcast. <laughs> uh, you know, anxiety affects all of us and uh, or many of us. And there is a way out. There is a different way. And most of the time, the anxiety is perpetuated because we're just simply going in the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and we should share that once we've learned it. Mm-hmm. And if you <laughs> and have other ways it. too, right? There's many the other, other ways. ways. Yeah, there's never one way for everyone. Yeah. It's got to be many, many other ways. So, well, I was just saying, if if there, if anyone else has any other ways, then feel free to share it. <laughs> Please, yeah, put it in the comments. I encourage you. Know, you. We'll ta- maybe we can we can talk about it. And uh, yeah, so. Well, I hopefully, I know, I mean, there's so much to cover with anxiety uh, and mental health. You know, that's kind of a, I have two YouTube channels, this one, and then I'm going to get the other one going, which is really going to hit base on all of these questions, but particularly from meditation, that kind of point of view. So maybe you can. Sounds good. Yeah. Anyway, what else is there? Any other thoughts? I think, I mean, there's plenty of thoughts on anxiety that we touch on, but ideas and but we're hitting our hour mark. Here. Yeah, we've hit the hour mark. That's why I'm yeah. trying to close it up a little bit. But uh, yeah, it was a really good pleasure. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's a yeah. bit different from the free will conversation. <laughs> yeah. But uh, me too. You know, I, I think it all it, it all kind of connects in the sense that, you know, living from the place of it all connects. It all connects yeah. in some way. So yeah. Hi, right, brother. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you. Uh, do you Likewise. have any final thoughts? I don't. I don't. All I'm right. looking forward to our next conversation too. What are we talking yeah, about next too. time? Do we know? Uh, we should. I. You know what I want to talk about next time? I think would be good is after this conversation, we should talk about memento mori. Okay. The fear, the taboo of death in our culture, and how 
we sweep it under the rug and try to consider it later. Yeah. I think it'd be really great to talk about how important it is to be mindful of death at every moment. And uh, the Christians historically have a really good tradition about being mindful of death, hence memento mori, which is the Latin phrase of be mindful of death. And they would uh, be called, they would say, dying daily. It was a practice of theirs, particularly the Desert Fathers. So anyway, yeah. let's talk about that next time. I think death. that's one of my laws, actually. I, I've told you about my... Oh, I want to talk about that, too. Yeah. I want to talk about that, too. You have... Uh, it we was, should do a whole separate one. podcast. We should have a, sol- a whole separate podcast for your your model that you that you that you have. I think that'd be really cool. But let me think about it a lot, and okay, and then I think it'd be fun to talk about the triangulation thing. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah, you get. I think we have to talk about it right. again before we do that kind of podcast. But yeah, okay. I'd like to because I'm all about promoting people's ideas, particularly if they're useful. So. Yeah. And right. I hope you're open to some criticism. I, I don't know what the criticism is yet, but I'm sure, sure I'll have some. <laughs> For sure. That kind of pretentious person. <laughs> <laughs> I hope maybe I can squash it. We'll see. Yeah, <laughs> you, just, yeah, you, yeah you have an answer for it. Yeah. All right, brother. It was good to all talk right. to you. I'll good talk to, talk to you, you next time, all right? Sounds good. Thank you for listening to Rethoughts. Follow us on Instagram at re underscore thoughts. You can also subscribe through email on our website at rethoughts.com. Follow us on wherever you listen to podcasts. That way you can keep up with our new episodes. We love hearing from our listeners, so contact us through Instagram or our website and tell us what you've been rethinking or request a topic that you'd like us to talk about. Thanks for listening.